most HR and procurement managers, if you ask them, what's your, t you know, any anything you buy, whether it's Starbucks buying coffee beans, General Motors buying, you know, rubber and steel, what's your tolerance in the supply chain? And they'll usually say, you know, maybe two to 3%, maybe five or six, if, if I'm getting a better product. But so much in healthcare is a thousand percent above the median. So once, once we find the median, we'll usually set a reference point and we'll say, this is the maximum the plan will reimburse. All right. So welcome to the Solving Healthcare podcast. This is Mike Andrade. And as you know, we seek to identify and promote companies that are positively disrupting the healthcare space. Today, our guest is Ralph Weber, the CEO of Medibid. Ralph, welcome. Thank you, Mike. I'm uh, happy to be here on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. Understanding you're from Houston, but you're way far away today. Having you visit us when you're visiting your mom, we really do appreciate it. So what we like to do on our show is I like for you to share with us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be the CEO of your company, Metabid. So you were a healthcare consultant. Um, were you a consultant like I'm a consultant or did you consult with hospitals, doctors, that type of thing? Well, actually, I did a little bit of both, uh, okay. mostly for employers. Most of my consulting was for employers. Okay. And then three years ago, employers had reached the breaking point where, you know, with the employer mandate, they have to offer benefits. These people have never had benefits. Now they've got a plan with a five, six, seven thousand dollar deductible and they have to pay, you know, 125 a month just for themselves, a thousand if they want their family. It was at the breaking point. I saw employers with, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent participation. And the employees said, this sucks, it's too expensive and the deductible's too high. The employers were saying, this sucks, it costs too much and the quality's too low. And they were all right. You know, oh. all, all, all four accounts. Oh, yeah, no, no. But the thing is, is with what your company does, I'm curious to know how you got from this sucks, like everybody's pissed off, right? Because it's all too expensive. Mm -hmm. Nobody understands the variability of cost and the drivers of cost. So how do you go from consulting clients that everybody agrees it sucks to identifying a very specific solution like the one that your company provides to employers? Well, what we did, Mike, is we studied literally billions of dollars of claims from private companies, you know, large, large state health plans, you know, all, all kinds of different data that we studied. And what we found is consistently that 35 to 40% of all costs are above the median. So for example, let's say the median cost for a CT scan is $600. 40% of the spending for CT is for CT scans that cost more than $600. Most HR and procurement managers, if you ask them, what's your, t you know, any anything you buy, whether it's Starbucks buying coffee beans, General Motors buying, you know, rubber and steel, what's your tolerance in the supply chain? And they'll usually say, you know, maybe two to 3%, maybe five or six, if, if I'm getting a better product. But so much in healthcare is a thousand percent above the median. So once, once we find the median, we'll usually set a reference point and we'll say, this is the maximum the plan will reimburse. We make sure that there are a lot of providers that will do it for that price, a lot of quality providers that will do it for that price. And then we will give them shopping tools and incentives to, you know, to get that health care. Well, Ralph, um, 
what I'm hearing you say, and I just, I just want to make sure I'm translating what you're saying correctly, is that you sure. realize that the median price was, you know, that, that, that is just the middle number. But what really sure. was driving the cost was the magnitude of the cost of the outliers. Is that, is that a correct statement? Cool. That is, that is exactly correct. Yes. Okay. What was the, I guess the aha moment or the, the holy, you know, what moment we said, okay, this is the egregious part of what we do. If we could solve for this, the costs would go down by X amount and not change quality or possibly improve quality as a result. Do you have a number right. like how we can, how we can get a sense for the magnitude of that number? You know, last year through MediBid, $74.8 million of medical bids were made with an average cost of 108% of Medicare. Oh, wow. So we know that competition works. Mm -hmm. I've seen some groups adding just transparency to the health plan, just Mm -hmm. transparency. And what I found in almost every case, it increases costs. It doesn't decrease costs. Because think of this, the average American worker earning maybe $37,000 a year between their deductible and out-of-pocket maximum, they might be close to 7,000. And to cover their whole family, they have to pay about 1,000 a month. So they're paying 1,000 a month out of 37,000 a year. Then when they they have to use it, they have to come up with another Mm 7,000. And let's say now we add transparency. One knee surgeon charges her 35,000, the other one 90,000. And that employee is told, you're gonna be out-of-pocket 7,000 the same way both, both guys. They're both the same. Which one do you want? Chances are they're going to pick the $90,000 one because they think that he's higher quality because the charges are higher. But what we have found in almost every case that there's an inverse correlation between cost and quality. And that was the aha moment when we realized that by improving the quality, we were actually cutting the cost. You uh, talk about the average reimbursement rate of 108% of Medicare. In your experience, give a sense for what a typical hospital is not charging, but what is being passed back as an allowable expense. And so the amount that's both the employee share and the employer share. Right. The average allowable, according to a RAND study that was just released in May across the U.S. is 241% of Medicare. In other words, almost two and a half times what Medicare charges. That's the average allowable cost. But again, it's average. Some hospitals are five, ten times that, and some are less. If you think of uh, an episode of care such as a knee replacement, there are four main charges. One is the surgeon's fee. One is time in the operating room. And notice I said time because hospitals do bill by 15-minute increments. Mm -hmm. Next one is time with the anesthesiologist. And finally, the last one is number of nights in the hospital. Now, there's a million other things like the aspirins and the Kleenex and the prescriptions and stuff like that. But those four, let's just think about those four. If you imagine a very skilled knee surgeon that does 500 knee replacements a year, he's probably going to take half an hour to do your surgery. He's in and out. If he sees a complication, he's seen it so many times, it doesn't even slow him down. So we've got a half hour procedure two units of OR time, two units of anesthesia time, because you've only been under anesthesia a short period of time, you don't need to stay overnight for observation in the hospital. The same procedure done by an inexperienced surgeon that does like one or two knee replacements a year might take an hour and a half. 
if he runs across a complication, he has to call another surgeon who has to come in and scrub in. And so you might be in the operating room for two hours or, or even more under anesthesia for the same time. So those two charges are higher. And because you've been under anesthesia for two hours, chances are you're going to have to have one, if not two nights in the hospital. So it's actually much more expensive in many cases, in almost all cases, to have an inexperienced surgeon do the procedure. Hmm. I think we're getting a really strong sense for what Medibid does. Could you describe what your company does? And I want to make sure we understand how you factor quality, how you validate Mm -hmm. quality, and then the cost component as well. Okay. So let's start with quality. When somebody signs up to be a doctor on Medibid, we first vet them for quality. We check their medical license number to check for, you know, malpractice suits, complaints, anything like that. We check the normal rating services like LeapFrog, Health Grades, Vitals, RateMyMD, et cetera. So we have all that baseline information before they even sign up, and we put their ratings online. We also have our own patients rate them, and some clients tell us, you know, we'd like to get the CMS ratings as part of our plan, mm-hmm. and we can pull that in as well. That's, that's a little bit extra because it takes some extra work, but that is also available. So that, that's where the quality comes from. Okay. So when you say your clients, when I'm envisioning that you have a relationship with an employer, are they advertising those components to their employees? Or are you saying we have third-party administrators and we give them CMS data so they can help nudge the conversation based on quality? No, it's, it's embedded right into the application. So when they go online to make that request, the employee is going to see a couple of things right away. And so is the doctor. Okay. Number one, they're going to see, you know, the approximate amount that Medicare would pay for that procedure. They're going to see the healthcare blue book fair price, uh, although both uh, Medicare and healthcare blue book fair price have a variance based on where you're located. So we put those that information in there so that they can look it up themselves. Then we give them the average bid made over the last six months. So, you know, if, if a doctor sees, for example, on a knee replacement that the healthcare bill book fair price is 32,000, but the average bid is 18, they're probably not going to bid 30,000 because they, they see how high that is, you know, above the average. So, so it keeps them very competitive because in healthcare, there are no price lists. There are no men- menus except for one or two very progressive surgery centers that have posted them online. You just don't see that price information. So we, we show them here are the cash prices that people have actually put out there as a bid within the last six months. Okay, so you're showing that to the providers and to the patients, but is that creating the market standard or or do you see any variability in the average cash pay in any given time period? Yeah, we do, Mike. What some of our providers do, and this has been an interesting thing, you know, a lot of what we're seeing is, is things that were created by the marketplace that we built. And some of that was the cost versus quality correlation, inverse correlation. Part of that was second opinions, because if you make a request for a knee replacement, you're going to find a doctor goes online. And if you've uploaded x-rays, they're going to look at those x-rays and they're going to say, you know, I don't think you need a full knee replacement. I think all you need is a knee scope. So you're going to get those second opinions built in. You're going to get doctors looking at your file and saying, well, because he has to travel, you know, like 250 miles, I'm going to go down about, you know, three or $400 to, you know, so he's got some money for airfare or something like that. So they often do vary their bid based on distance. Okay. So you're giving providers enough information so they can look at it. And if these guys are 
doing hundreds of procedures a year, they're going to have a very acute, an acute eye for what really is the problem. And so they're going to, based on their own experience, give you an adjusted bid based on one, what they can live with from a cash perspective, but also how they see fixing the problem. Fair statement? Correct. Yes, so, that's fair. So let me ask you though, is, do you have a lot of instances where somebody says that, hey, my doctor sent me down the hall and they said I need a knee, re- knee replacement or knee surgery. You upload it and there's some consensus of providers that say, you know what, you really don't need surgery. Does that ever happen? Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, you know, we, we'll get people, number one, they will potentially give a second opinion and say like a knee scope instead of a knee replacement. You know, that's something that happens. Often the doctors will say, hey, look, I, I, I think you need a second opinion. So for $250, I'll do a, a case review. If you end up using me, I'll credit that towards the, the procedure, if, if any. But hmm. for $250, bucks, you have got walkaway papers. You can take it wherever you want. So, and, and that probably saves a lot of surgeries, yeah. you know. Mayo Clinic did a study that indicated 80, 88% of the times when somebody gets a second opinion, the original diagnosis is either overturned or modified. And one third of the time, surgery is averted. So second opinions work. In a lot of the brokers that, that I work with, we put something in there that says any, any procedure over $10,000 needs a, a case review or a second opinion. So, right. you know, sometimes we save surgeries with that as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I just wanted to highlight a point that uh, you know when yeah. we talk, when, when a lot of times we talk about the cost of healthcare or the cost of an event, we just look at price, right? We just say, okay, well, right. this hospital does it for twenty thousand, the other hospital does it for fifteen, but there's two other right. components, right? There is right. the question of whether or not the surgery actually needed to happen, and, and you probably know this more than right. I do, but the the uh, evidence that I see suggests that 30 to 40% of all, all musculoskeletal surgeries may not even need to happen, right? And so Correct. why do you want a low bid on something that should never happen? And then, you know, right. the third component is the quality component, which, which you've addressed, but I, I recently did a presentation and looking up or using the complication rates of uh, heart surgery, top 10% mm-hmm. of physicians, the death rate was less than 3%. The bottom 10% rate, the death rate was 12%. And so by mm-hmm. not getting a second opinion or just trusting that your primary care doctor who sends you down the hall knows what quality, what that quality rating is of the person they're referring to, which which they don't, right? right. That could increase right. your exactly. probability of death by over a measure of four times. And so mm-hmm. so it's just interesting that you're you're covering all bases and the second opinion it doesn't sound like it's an accident. It just sounds like more, you've got more eyes on the same problem with a different set of expertise. And so was that, was that a surprise or was that, was that deliberate? Well, you know, it it was a surprise how it came out, you know, because we added second opinions as a category, but most of the doctors are just giving them. Like if somebody requests a knee, they're they're saying, you know, I don't think you need this. My former wife uh, was told she needed a knee arthroscopy. Mm-hmm. And she went to a, a surgery center in, in Virginia and he says, do you have any standing x-rays? And she said, no. He says, well, let's, let's take a standing x-ray. And he looked at it and he said, you know, you don't even need a knee, knee scope. If, if you live in this town, I'd say, let's do some cortisone injections. So, you know, we'll do it maybe, you know, once or twice. And if this doesn't last for at least six weeks, then come back and we can look at a, another alternative. So she left and to my knowledge, she's never had a knee arthroscopy done. 
So wow. it was just cortisone. So, you know, it saved her. Now, knee arthroscopy is only $3,600. So it's not like it's a high ticket item. But, yeah, but still, it was an unnecessary surgery that was averted. Yeah, and the, the, the interesting is I, I, I consider our mission to, one, save lives, right? That's the very, right. very important. But step, you know, the second thing is that it's our job to eliminate suffering. And so by right. doing that, right. and, and suffering, you know, what I mean, it's the, it's the recovery yeah. effort and all of that. By avoiding that, you're, you're increasing productivity, you're, in, you're maintaining or improving the quality of life, and you're eliminating that suffering event. So uh, yeah, exactly. you know, even though it sounded kind of accidental, I mean, that's a huge blessing. So, Yeah, yeah, it, it really was. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that's why when, when people ask me, do you have competitors? We really don't because there's so many things, you know, like the, there, there's a whole body of businesses called bundled payment vendors. And, you know, when I ask, like, what is that? First, first of all, the definition is, you know, from A to Z. Some of them say, oh, we just take three bills and put it on one invoice. It's like, really? <laughs> you charge for that? <laughs> so, but, of course, all of our prices are bundled case rates, you know, by default. So that's one thing we do. Another thing we do is second opinions. There's a whole bunch of companies that that's all they do. There's some that do just transparency. But, like, there's so many things that put together in the right combination. I mean, think of, you know, cooking. You know, when you're cooking, uh, you can uh, put, you know, some ingredients together. But if you're missing the salt and pepper, the paprika, the, you know, the, the chili powder, you know, like it just doesn't come out right. Right. And we have found that some of these ingredients that go into the, the competitive effort and in, into the bid just really make a huge difference. Yeah. So answer this for me. We talked about quality, but what is the minimum quality score for some provider to make it onto your, your uh, marketplace? If anybody has a one or two star rating, it's generally a no-go. We'll generally call them. And if, if they have a really, really, really good reason, there's only like one rating in this. Uh, sometimes these ratings from patients are because Blue Cross didn't cover the event or whatever the insurance company is, has nothing to do with the doctor sometimes. So we're not just going to kick in with the curb immediately, but that's our first red flag. Okay. Uh, for them to get past. And then are there others or cuz I'm, yeah, I'm thinking Yeah, you of, know, we we look at their medical license, we look at complaints, allegations, malpractices or anything like that. We look at all those. Mm-hmm. So we really do look at all the data we can find including the CMS ratings when they're available. And then, you know, once we've done all that, then we come up with sort of our quality rating of the person. Again, if they're one or two, they're not eligible. Okay. And does the employer have the option of saying, hey, I I really only want my folks to see the top 25% of physicians in their category or top 10%? Um, That hasn't happened yet. We haven't had that happen. We've had TPAs manage the process and decide which bids are going to go on. So, and, and that could be one of the criteria that they're looking at. Okay. Yeah, I got. It. Okay, cool. So, um, I guess walk me through because when I when I think of a company like yours, I I think of Destination Healthcare. So companies like uh, Health City, Cayman Islands, the hospital that's in Oklahoma, uh-huh. and now there's one in Austin, kind of doing mm-hmm. that bundled cash pay. But can you walk through what a typical experience is for a person that has been validated needs to have surgery? Can you just kind of walk through the touch points? Sure. Sure. Okay. So, so you've been told you need surgery. You've got an MRI, you've got all the imaging lab work, you know, et cetera. 
that you need and, and you're ready to go. You don't have to be at that point, by the way. It can be before that. It can be where you think you need, you know, sort of a knee replacement. So anyway, the, we have a landing page for each employer. And it's, you know, like whatever ever your employer's name is, such as acmewidgets.medibid.com. You just go there and that's where you start. And you already have a profile that has been created for you. So you go online, you just make sure that your contact information is in there, your health information is accurate, and then you go make new requests. It's fairly intuitive. You just go through the process. You put as much information as you can. You can upload up to five documents. And then you post the request. Once that is posted, some doctors have their prices already pre-programmed in. This is even more so for the more straightforward procedures such as imaging or minor orthopedics, even knees and hips. They sometimes have their prices pre-programmed in, so the patient literally gets that in like a tenth of a second. Other doctors prefer to review your, your case notes and then actually make a bid. So those are the other ones. So you get a little bit of a, a different you know, mentality between some doctors and others. But within two to three business days, for sure, you will have a variety of bids to choose from. And if we notice that nobody's making them, we'll actually call around on your behalf and, and we'll get some from, from local providers. So once you have all that, you look at their quality, you can look at their profile, you see their training education experience, their price and their location. And usually we give some guidance in terms of what is the plan going to pay? Because if it's a reference-based pricing plan, that doesn't mean all that an employee needs to hear at all times. So we have to make sure that they have all the information to make a choice. If you go here, you're going to have to pay another, another 2000 If you go here, your deductibles waived, et cetera. Okay. And so I guess, how would you balance that? Because typically what I, what I would experience is that when you're dealing with a bundled payment provider, it's either the service is free to the employees because it's such a dramatically lower cost or mm-hmm. it's somehow tied in with the third-party administrator I guess I'm, I misunderstood in terms of the uh, member share, because it sounds like you have some options there. Correct. What a lot of our groups do is, you know how a typical in-network, out-of-network schedule of benefits works? It yes. works like that. Now, RBP normally doesn't have an in-network, out-of-network, because right. there is no network. So we put a preferred tier, non-preferred tier, we know that through Medibid, they're going to get you know, good, good pricing. So on the preferred tier, for example, the, the regular tier might have a $3,500 deductible, $7,000 out-of-pocket, you know, single, whereas the preferred tier is going to have often a zero deductible, and everything will be subject to a copay, such as $250 for an outpatient procedure, $500 for inpatient, et cetera. So by doing that, we know that we're going to steer them towards more competitive bids. Okay, I got you. And so in terms of paying the providers, are you paying the providers up front and collecting from the members or does the member have to show up with $250 when they have this procedure done? Well, often if it's a copay, then yeah, they show up with a copay. But what we will frequently do is through VPay or something like that, we'll make sure that the provider is paid in full at the time of service so that they don't have to run after the patient mm-hmm. for their share because most most hospitals that I talk to, their accounts receivable is all probably 85 to 90% deductibles and out-of-pocket from members that they can't collect. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. They're chasing debt too. I mean, that's a huge part of their operation. Yeah. So you've solved Absolutely. a problem for them as well. Right. And so I guess walk through the, the provider selection. Like I'm assuming it's not a traditional network, but how many providers do you have or what's the selection process to show? We've got about 28,000 right now. What we tend to do is when we get a group in a certain geography, then what we're going to do is we're going to you know, look at the, the top 10 providers on the claims run, and we're going to start there. We're going to try to recruit some of them on a, on a direct contract or something like that. Now, uh, that's not our preference because direct contracting sometimes increases costs. But if we recruit them into the Medibid as a bidder, then they're entitled to bid on that healthcare. I think a, a direct contract is good for a um, sort of a safe harbor, certainly good for emergency room use, mm-hmm. but not as a primary method. Because in essence, a direct contract is a narrow network. Sure, it, it removes some of the middlemen, but it's still they're going to be bidding at a certain price. So it, it does achieve some of the goals that, that most employers have, but not always all in one solution. Hmm. Okay. What is your typical experience in terms of average distance to travel for uh, an event? Last year, our median distance traveled was 257 miles. Okay. Every request made received at least one bid within 50 miles. Okay, so we always had that local option. Now, for example, if you were in Abilene, Texas, and you said, okay, within 25 miles for a triple bypass surgery, who are the providers? You'll actually find one that's in the 31st percentile, according to CMS, and another one in the 41st percentile. So you've got basically a C and a D rated hospital. And if you say, I don't want my people to go more than 25 miles, well, then you have to have a heart surgery in a, in a 33 or 41st percentile hospital. Mm-hmm. If you expand your area, to over 100 miles, you're going to find some one in the 97th percentile that's actually less expensive. So our premise on the market is that we don't put restrictions on how far somebody could go. Now, some of the patients complain, well, I got this bid from 800 miles away. Well, okay, you don't have to take it. You just press hide and then it's gone. But by enlarging that circumference that we search in, we're able to substantially increase quality and lower costs. Hmm. And so how much does the plan nudge or lean in on that? Or is it really more member driven using cost and CMS data? You know, it's more member driven because as I said, we try to put it right into the plan design where they have a, a preferred option that, that waives, you know, their, their share of the costs. So by doing that, it's still their choice. I mean, yeah, they yeah. can still go to any provider they want, but you know, by, by showing them, you've got no out-of-pocket costs here. And sometimes they even get a $1,000 you know, cash reward for going to somewhere really cost-effective. Hmm. Although I'm sure there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Right. It sounds pretty simple from a member perspective. It is. And if you look at the traditional, the status quo model with the big insurance companies and the big hospitals, mm-hmm. So the insurance company will tell the hospital, hey, listen, if somebody has a knee replacement, we want you to bill some outrageous amount, like $100,000, and we're going to take this fake discount of 55%, and we're going to say, hey, we negotiated this down to 45%. Okay, and the hospital says, well, okay, yeah, it seems like a waste of time, but whatever, okay, sure, we'll do that. And not only okay, that, so now, they get to parade uh, around and give everyone high fives that they got a great discount, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah. 
So then we've got $45,000 in play as the allowable charge. Mm -hmm. But then the insurance company says to the hospital, no, you're going to have to collect the first 7,000 from that employee that earns 37 grand. Good luck with that, by the way. Good luck if you even collect $100 out of the 7,000. So there's really $38,000 in play now. And of course, the doctor's office and hospital has to have a, a virtual army of billers and coders to try to collect the money. So over the next four months, this bill that's submitted to the insurance company goes back and forth between the hospital and the insurance company. Was it medically necessary? Did you have to do this, not that? Why did you use this clamp? Why did you use this appliance? It goes back and forth. And most hospital CFOs that I've talked to tell me they are lucky if they collect that $38,000 two-thirds of the time. They consider themselves lucky, mm -hmm. okay? So you take two-thirds of 38000 and if you say to a doctor, hey, would you like 22000 up front at the time of service? You don't have to wait six months to get your money. You don't have to take an employee to collections. You don't have to threaten to sue the insurance company. They'll say, oh, yeah, all day long. So that's why it works. It works because better doctors can showcase their quality uh, and ask a fair price based on, you know, receipt of payment at the time of service. So I guess a, a couple of questions I would have would be, how do you rate your service? Do you, do you follow like a customer service rating for your service? Do you have a net promoter score? No, no, we really don't. We do survey every single one of our clients that's accepted a bid. Mostly we're rating them on the position and hospital they went to. That's most of, you know, the stuff that's important, mm -hmm. but they'll always put in if they felt that there was a, a lack of service with us. They tried to call somebody they couldn't get an answer back, something like that. They'll, they'll post that as well. If that occurs, we don't see it very often, but you know, there is definitely space for that. Okay. And then do you have like an advocacy service or something that will help your, your yeah, uh, we do. We call it Medibit Valet. Okay. And with that, you know, we'll do everything to, you know, help them if they need to travel, get any travel documents, medical records transferred. And we arrange for, you know, pick up at the, at the hotel. We'll walk them through the, the bids more thoroughly so that they can make an informed choice. Okay. So walk me through it. You know, it sounds like you can work either embedded in with, within a third party administrator, or you could work mm -hmm. alongside of a traditional Buka, Blue Cross United, Cigna, Aetna. Obviously, I would suspect you'd have a preference, but just confirm for me that that is what I said is true. Yes, that is completely true. Okay. And so when you work alongside of a, of a traditional PPO network, mm -hmm. typically right. they don't like companies like yours, but how do you work with an employer so that one, you advertise to the employees and two, you and your providers get paid? Okay. There are like a million variations. What we see the most common when we work with a plan with a traditional PPO, whether it's fully insured or self-insured, is procedures that are less than the deductible, such as MRIs and, and, and stuff like that, which, you know, sometimes they can get through us far less than the deductible. If they went through their insurance company, they'd have to pay their entire deductible and then pay more. So that's probably been our largest uptake. We have some larger employers that are saying, hey, we'd like you to, to use you for filling specialty prescriptions outside of the U.S. or for some medical tourism. And then we identify those procedures. And then, you know, we, we will talk to the TPA and we will 
sort of tell them how we want it administered and we've never had a problem. Hmm. Okay. So you would have your own third party administrator. They would essentially work the transaction, if you will, collect the money from the employer and distribute that back to you. Is that correct? Or do they pay the providers directly? They pay the provider directly. Okay. Okay. And so any problems working with stop loss, I, I would assume most stop loss vendors love you unless it's a, uh, blue, it's a traditional stop loss provider through the, the Buka world. Is that a fair statement? Right. Yes, it is. They, they often will give a discount when they hear that there's a Medibit incentive in the plan. Yeah. The cool thing about that is that knowing that, I mean, in the self-funded world, you could set incentives. So financial incentives, obviously free, but mm -hmm. you could also put in, in some rules in the plan that say, hey, mm -hmm. look, if you need an MRI or you think you need knee surgery, you're approved no matter what. But before that we do that, we want you to at least go check on Medibit and see if they would work for you. Are you seeing many employers do that? Yeah, and we're trying to transition them to getting us more involved and being part of the, you know, pre-off procedure because once we hear, okay, we can get an MRI for 250 bucks and then, you know, if it turns out it is a full knee replacement, we know it's going to be 18, 19,000, knee scope is going to be 36, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, so no. when we're involved right from the start, that's the better scenario. So that's, you know, always our preference. Yeah, and I was working with a client last week. We were walking through their Cigna reports and they would show, you know, this was a report for outpatient services. And you were using, I guess they would be a competitor of yours, but just comparing their Cigna's costs, when you just look at MRI, the average wow. paid amount was $2,800. And the wow. average amount through this company was like three hundred. dollars Right. And mm -hmm. that was eye opening <clears throat> enough. When you get to yeah. the heart cath, the variability in cost, and now mm -hmm. mind you, they didn't have a lot, but the variability in cost was, was amazing from like $28,000 to $18,000. And mm -hmm. I think the cost of this company was roughly 2,500 or something like that. And so mm -hmm. it was staggering to the employer, but also empowering right. that, you know, they, they were yep. so scared about walking away from what they know. And then once you show mm -hmm. them the actual cost, they were really kind of mad. And so it's, it's, right. uh, it's neat to watch yeah. that. It's empowering to watch mm -hmm. that. But also, I mean, you're, you're helping so many people along the way. So I'm, I'm assuming you find something right. even exactly. more profound than that when you talk about the variability of cost. Y yeah, that, we, we've seen one. I think the CPT code was 63030, lower back surgery. And this was, I was analyzing the claims for a client that I think they were at the time about 80,000 lives. And we saw for lower back surgery, a variance of 4,500% from high to low allowable charges. Wow. That's you know, I mean, it, it's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So hey, let me ask you a couple more questions. First, I always like to know, like, how do you make money? Well, we, we do two ways. Number one, we charge the hospital an annual subscription fee, as well as the doctors. And we charge the employer a combination of a per employee per month fee and a percentage of the savings. Okay. And, and we can kind of vary based on that. We can have a lower PEPM and a higher percent of savings or a higher PEPM and no percent of savings. So it's kind of on a continuum. And what is the, like, if, if just give me a, a 30,000 foot range. If you, if you had an employer that said, Hey, look, 
I want to pay the lowest PEPM possible. I'm assuming it's not saving. It's the percentage of the paid amount itself. But what, what would that be? Well, what we often use as a benchmark is the healthcare blue book fair price, you okay. know, because it's so easy to look up. So, you know, we'll say uh, like, if you don't want to pay, if you want to pay little or no PPM, then we can do that. And then a percentage of savings, maybe 20, 25% versus healthcare blue book, because then we have a standard, we can look it up by zip and we can say, if you would, you know, like the patient lives in this zip, it would have cost them 33,000. We got it for 23,000. So we saved you $10,000 and then still 25% of that tacked on top of the 23,000 is still far less because they're still netting $7,500 in savings. Oh, so you're not using the carrier allowable amount. You're using a healthcare blue book as the index and saying this is what we Mm -hmm. saved you over and beyond. Okay, okay. No, Mike, let me explain. That's what we can do because you said if somebody wants no PEPM at all, then that's what we'll do. If somebody says, yeah, I mean, I I don't have, and and again, it goes based on group size as well. and, And we will look at what kind of incentives they have built in to use us. If they just don't have anything, just you can use Medibid, then we know we're going to have less people trying to use us. And when they do, it's going to be more work. So So we vary based on that, but the percent of savings in that scenario where there's a combination of PPM and percent of savings, it's versus the plan allowable, whether that's 150% of Medicare, 170, 140, whatever. So it's the savings versus that allowable when it's in combination with the PPM. But there are reference-based pricing companies that will, you know, essentially reimburse at 120% of Medicare, but charge just Mm -hmm. an egregious amount as a percentage of savings. Right. And so right. Mm-hmm. my experience has been for many of those, their all in cost is more than what they would have played through a traditional network. Right. It, it doesn't happen often, but it, it does happen often enough. And so I guess what I want to make sure I understand mm-hmm. is in your world, if you had to add in, if it's 108% on average is uh, your, right. your Medicare reimbursement, when you add in your fee, is, right. that, is that still going to be close to 140% of Medicare or is it going to be something? Gotcha. Does that make sense? Um, okay. So yeah, yeah, I understand totally what you mean. It's still going to be less than 118, like oh, out of okay. 108. So 10% on top of that, let's just say there's still going to be savings, you know, to the employer. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Yeah. That, that was my question. So this, that makes total sense. And so it's just a matter of one, it's going to be more work for a smaller employer. Um, so you, you might want a little bit more of a, um, of a PEPM on that. that. That makes sense. Okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Mm-hmm. Two ways. You can send me an email, ralph at medibid.com, or you could just send one to info at medibid.com and it'll, it'll get to the right person. My direct phone line is 713-589-3398. The main company line is 888-855-6334. Cool. Ralph, thank you. Is there anything that sure. uh, that's either coming down the pipeline that you would like to share or something that we didn't talk about that you think is important for people to understand about your business? We talked about this a little bit, but I want to just reemphasize it. A lot of employers have been used to the status quo for so long, mm-hmm. and they think that these really huge insurance companies are taking care of their best interests. Mm-hmm. Often they're not. Often that's not the case. Certainly not on every procedure. So what we want people to understand is they can start with training wheels just by having us as a bolt-on plan to, you know, their book a plan and then go from there. You don't have to throw away the net under the tightrope on day one. 
Okay. You know, and one thing I didn't ask is what is the range of services? You had mentioned MRI, you had mentioned surgeries, but are there certain mm -hmm. things that are just out that you can't accommodate within Medibid? Well, we don't do a lot of primary care other than DPC. We do a lot of DPC, but primary care, you know, where your potential savings are maybe $8.43 to recruit the number of providers and to, to manage that for that small of savings. We just don't do a lot of that. MRI is probably one of our lesser cost procedures. For some employer groups that need to have those preventive care, we'll also do pap smear and, and mammograms and colonoscopies, but those are probably some of our lesser procedures. I think our sweet spot is surgeries and orthopedic surgeries. Yeah, no, I was thinking like this plays well in the orthopedic space, but, but, you know, in terms of like, I'm assuming you would have the base of cardiovascular, a myriad of, of surgeries, but if somebody has any type of surgery related to oncology, is there mm -hmm. a service for that in your service? Yeah, there is. In oncology, the actual removal of the tumor or, or whatever it is, like yeah. a, even, even something as intensive as a Whipple procedure, which we've had people travel for, the surgical part is something where you can go get it done and come back. Mm -hmm. Normally, the chemo or radiation, although we have had cases where we've had people you know, get a bid through us and go away for a number of weeks, 12 weeks, to get this treatment because the savings were so great. But wow. generally speaking, the chemo-radiation, they like to be close to home more so than a single surgical event. Yeah, okay. And then do you work with any destination providers like Health City Cayman Islands or other international companies? Yeah, we do have a, we work directly with Health City Cayman Island. We've got a few other similar ones that do that. You know, anybody, as long as they, they pass our quality, is welcome yeah. to jump on. And then the market will take care of it from there. You yeah. know, the market will dictate how much business they get or don't get based on their quality and price. So as long as they meet that minimum quality, we welcome them on. That's awesome. Well, Ralph, I appreciate your time. This was a, a delightful conversation. And I love the fact that one, you're allowing market forces to drive not only the cost of healthcare down, but the value of quality as well. So I really appreciate right. what you're doing and thank you for uh, having uh, insightful knowledge and solving a problem that, that uh, we all have to fight. So thank you for that. Yep. Thanks. Good talking to you, Mike. Yeah, Thanks likewise. for all you do. Thank you for listening to this episode of Solving Healthcare. If you like this episode, please rate it and also provide your comments. If you would like to know how this service or others could fit within your organization, or if you'd like to sign up for future podcasts and news updates, please go to www.solvinghealthcare.net and click on contact. Thank you.